So Genesis chapter 32, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God saw, met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Manaheim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks, and the herds, and camels, into two companies. And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps... He will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. He wrestled with him and said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Amen. And we do thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. We're going to ask God for his help now to understand it. So let's pray. Our gracious God, you are kind and loving and generous and you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you for the scriptures and we pray, O God, that you would help us today to understand them. Give us understanding in our minds and we also pray, O God, that you would help us to believe them in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin today by asking you a question. And the question is this, what is your deepest desire? What is your deepest desire? What do you want from life? What is it that makes life worth living? And what is the thing that you would have that would make your life worth living? Perhaps you don't have it now. For many people, Our desire is something that would be sorted out with money, isn't it? It isn't that we want vast amounts of money, but if we just had a little bit more money, then that would be good. It would really help us out. Just that little extra to to see us through the winter. Just a, a little more to top up the oil tank or a little more because of the cost of diesel at the minute. Just a bit more money to buy that coat that you've had your eyes on. Or maybe to get something special for the kids. Just a little bit more money so that the kids can have what they want for Christmas. Or maybe, like me, you're you're looking at the price of butter and you're thinking, I'll not be doing any baking this Christmas. Wouldn't it be good to know that you just had a little bit more cash? A little bit more cash to keep the fridge well stocked over the next couple of months. I've come up with an idea and boys and girls, I want you to see if you think this is a good idea. But I think what we should all do is go to Argos. And in Argos, you can buy a Monopoly set for about 16 quid, right? But in the box, did you know this? In the box, there's like 118,000 pounds. That's a quick way to make lots of money. Wouldn't that sort out all of our problems? Well, of course, it wouldn't. Because Monopoly money cannot buy Christmas presents. It can't put fuel in the tank and it cannot pay for groceries. And yet, friends, don't we do something similar with real money? Don't we think we can use it to buy things that it just can't pay for? Happiness. Joy. Eternal satisfaction. 
You know what the Beatles sang? The Beatles sang, money can't buy me love. There are all sorts of things that money can't pay for. And yet we think, we think we can fill the voids in our life with money. Just a little bit more. We look to created things like money to satisfy an eternal void within us. But money can't pay for those things. The Bible teaches in Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity into our hearts. God has placed eternity into our hearts. And so when we look to created things like money to to fill an eternal void, well, it just doesn't touch the sides. And it leaves us wanting more, just a little bit more. What we need to learn today is that only God can fill that void. Only God can fill the eternal void in our lives. And we must trust in him and in him alone. That's the lesson Jacob has to learn in this passage. And it's the word of God to each one of us today. When we left Jacob last week, he had just been tricked, deceived by Laban. Through deceit, he had been given Leah as a wife as well as Rachel. But we've actually skipped out a few chapters and and things have changed a little bit for Jacob. Jacob's family has grown. He, He now has 11 children. On top of that, he's managed to turn the tables and and he has deceived Laban. There's some sort of trickery of agriculture going on that I don't really understand and and Jacob is able to build up a large flock of goats and so he's had to leave the land because Laban is, is angry with him. He's had to leave the land and move back to his homeland with a great family, great possessions and great wealth. And so Jacob is this self-made man. Everything he has, he has made himself. He's not come up against a problem or a situation that he cannot solve through either his scheming and lying or just through genuine hard work, through effort. He left his father's house with nothing. He crossed the Jordan with only his staff. But now look what he's become. He's become two companies. Look at all the, the animals he has and the, and the servants he has. All through his own effort, Jacob has become great. But in our passage today, he comes up against a problem that he cannot solve. He's coming face to face. As we read it in verses 6 and 7, he's coming face to face with Esau's 400 men. Because Esau's coming out to meet him with these 400 men, Jacob is greatly afraid. He's distressed. You see, Jacob has finally come to a problem that he cannot solve himself. He sends gifts ahead, but he doesn't know that Jacob or that Esau will change his mind. He, he doesn't know that Esau's heart will be changed. Remember the last time he saw Esau, there was a death threat. But before he comes to Esau, Jacob has to contend with something else much greater. He has to contend with the truth that he cannot buy God's love or acceptance with his scheming or his efforts. 
Esau is kind of a, a substitute for God in this passage because Jacob is powerless to make Esau forgive him. But he's equally powerless before God. Sending ahead camels and donkeys will do nothing for God. Up to this point, you see, Jacob has, has been a man who has used all of his heart and all of his soul, all of his mind and all of his strength to help him grow in wealth. He's given all of his effort into making himself great. But now God, God is going to change him. God is going to change Jacob into a person who will use all of his soul, mind and strength to love God. God will take Jacob's will to win, his will to attain and to obtain. He will purge it of self-sufficiency and redirect Jacob towards the proper object of man's love. That is God himself. Jacob has to learn to trust in God and in God alone. We see this in our passage in two distinct ways. First of all, there's a prayer. Jacob prays a prayer in verses 9 to 12. And then secondly, there is the wrestling match in verses 24 to 32. We'll begin with his prayer. I'm sure that you've all heard of the Declaration of Independence, haven't you? You've, you've heard of that. It's signed by a group of American revolutionaries. And they declared that they were no longer a colony of Britain, but an independent country. Americans celebrate this each year on the 4th of July, Independence Day. Well, I want to suggest to you today that prayer is the opposite of that. Prayer is the opposite of a declaration of independence. Prayer is a declaration of dependence. Prayer is a way that God's people say, we can't do anything without God. We can't do anything without his power and his sovereignty. Look at what Jacob says in verse 10 in particular. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies, of all the truth which you have shown your servant. I crossed this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Jacob has finally realised he's a self-made man. He's, he's worked through hard efforts and through some deception. He has strived and strived to become what he is. To gather wealth and animals and a large family, wives, children, servants. But in this prayer, he, he finally recognises that it's all because of God. He crossed the Jordan with only his staff. Do you remember, boys and girls, he, he had to use a stone for his pillow? He crossed the Jordan with nothing. He had nothing. But the fact that God was with him and the fact that God has been with him through his life means he's not become one but two companies. By the grace of God, Jacob has managed to turn nothing, nothing but his staff, into a great amount. This prayer is not a declaration of independence. He's not saying, I did all this on my own merit. It recognises that everything he has comes from God. And friends, that's what happens to a person when they're converted to Jesus. When you become a Christian, you, you realise that nothing you have is your own. That it all comes as a gift from God. Everything 
we have. Do you have that total dependence on God? Do you realise that Jesus is all you need? And if Jesus is all you had, would you still be happy with that? That's what Jacob has come to learn. It's a difficult thing to learn and, and maybe even more difficult to live out. But it's so important that we acknowledge in prayer and in our lives that we are entirely and utterly dependent on God for all things. Jacob has come to a point where he looks towards meeting Esau and he fears that. And he realises that all the stuff that he has cannot change Esau's heart. And so his stuff doesn't mean anything to him anymore. It can't pay for what he desires. It's like monopoly money with the groceries. It, It doesn't work. All his stuff doesn't hold sway over him. He realizes that God is all he needs. That's what happens when you're converted to Christ. I heard a story this week about some of the wonderful conversions that people experienced in Belfast back at the turn of the century. Uh, back in the shipyards, uh, whenever the Belfast was the centre of shipbuilding uh, for the United Kingdom. Back in those days, many, many men from the shipyards were converted to Christ uh, through the preaching of, of people like W.P. Nicholson. And do you know what happened in the shipyards at that time? Throughout Belfast, these men went home to their sheds, went back to their houses, and they started returning to the shipyards all of the tools and bits and pieces that they had stolen over the years. They'd taken them home from the shipyards and they'd ended up in their shed. And so all of this equipment and tools started reappearing at the shipyards. So much so that Harland and Wolfe actually had to issue statements and say, don't return anything more because we're now full. We, we can't take any more. There's nowhere to put it all. Isn't that the difference Jesus makes? We don't want the stuff anymore. We know we don't need the stuff when we have Jesus. When we know Jesus for who he is, he makes all of the things of this world fade in comparison. When we have Christ, when we are totally dependent on him, all the stuff of this earth couldn't hold sway over us. I wonder, is that how you pray? Is that how you live? Do you pray with total dependence on God? That's the mark of someone who has been truly converted to Christ. Someone who knows that everything they have comes from his almighty hand. And if Jesus is all we have, then we still have more than all this world could offer. Infinitely more than all this world could offer. Jacob committed himself to God in this moment, but there's still more to come for Jacob. He's now standing before God in the same manner as he did when he first crossed the Jordan. Just Jacob and his staff. He sent his family on ahead of him. He sent everything else towards Esau. In a way, I think he's, he's trying to do what those men who worked in the shipyards were doing. Jacob had stolen the blessing from Esau. You remember that? 
He stole the blessing from Esau. Now he's, he's trying to return the blessing to Esau. He's trying to give it back. And so now Jacob stands alone before his God. Freed of all the things of this world, just him and his staff before the Lord. And so we move to our second point. A man came and wrestled with Jacob. This is one of those times in the Old Testament when God appears in human form. Hosea helpfully interprets this person who wrestles with Jacob as God himself. I think we probably should have in mind a father wrestling with his children. You know, going hard enough to make the child have to put in effort, but at the same time going easy enough so as not to totally overpower the child. And so the wrestling goes on all night long, a real struggle between God and Jacob. Jacob is a man who has fought his whole life. He has struggled with being the youngest brother. He struggled after his deceit by being cast away from his home. He struggled with his cheating uncle. He struggled with the the difficulties of family life in the intervening years. You can go home this afternoon and and read some of those chapters that we've skipped over. Lots of difficulty, lots of struggle. Genuine difficulties coming from having two wives and many sons. Jacob is a fighter. He has struggled with life in this world. And now left alone, he has to struggle with God. And this is a night which will change him forever. Jacob is never the same after this. He will never again trust in himself, in his wealth. Instead, he will trust in God and trust in God alone. And he will serve as an example to those who meet him and and even as as an example to us today of what it means to trust in God alone. Jacob is changed in three ways. He leaves this encounter with God carrying a limp, a new name, and a blessing. As we've said in previous weeks, Jacob is a pattern for the Christian life. And so I want us to see these three things as a, as a pattern for us. If we first think of the limp, it, the limp is the way that Jacob was wounded by God. With just a touch on his hip socket, Jacob's leg was put out of joint. God damaged Jacob in a way. He damaged him. But this is a glorious injury. And it's one that Jacob would have carried with pride. Because that's the injury he got the night he wrestled with God. This injury brought him closer to God than ever he was before. Like I say, Jacob is a pattern for our Christian life. And so I think we need to see this passage as clearly as we saw the passage at Bethel. Jacob's dream of the ladder, you remember that? Because sometimes in the Christian life we have the Bethel experience. We have these mountaintop experiences. It is Bethel, an experience of joy and gladness. We hear of a a family member coming to faith in Jesus and we rejoice. Or maybe it's just a simple joy we, we have every week as we gather together and worship. But the Christian life is not all Bethel experiences. Sometimes we're at Peniel. Sometimes we have to wrestle with God. 
Sometimes we have to struggle to believe his word. We, we have to battle to embrace the hope of the gospel. We've all faced those dark days. I know we have in our family. I know many here have. Times when you struggle, even wrestle with God. But friends, isn't it true that with the passage of time, the scars of those days become scars of victory? They become scars of victory in our lives as Christians. Don't we become thankful for the dark days because it's in the darkest days that the light of the gospel shines forth most brightly? One of the Puritans, Samuel Rutherford, said that grace grows best in winter. And so it is that when we emerge from the darkness, we are closer and more dependent on God than ever before. The lesson God was teaching Jacob is that it's always best to trust in him alone. Jacob walked off that morning with a limp. And the children of Israel were told, do not eat that muscle of the hip. A constant reminder that through struggle, God draws his people close. I often have wondered, will Jacob have that limp in eternity? We know that there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. But will he still walk with a limp? Well, then I thought about the Lord Jesus. And I thought about how Thomas asked to see the holes in his hands and in his side. And how even in his resurrection body, Jesus still bears the scars of sacrifice. Scars that were given to him for your forgiveness. Christ is the true and better Jacob. Who upon the cross not only struggled, but who was wounded for our transgressions. Who was bruised for our iniquities. Smitten by God and afflicted. And yet the wounds of Christ are now his glory. We follow in his footsteps when we learn that through suffering we come to fully depend on God. The second thing Jacob carried was a new name. He is given the name Israel and it gives him a whole new identity. It describes how God views him and it also gives him something to aspire to, something to live into. Jacob, remember what it means. It means deceiver, twister, cheat, liar. Instead, he's given the name Israel, one who has struggled with God and with men and has prevailed. The title is one of grace. Jacob was not consumed by God. He was not destroyed. He has prevailed and now he bears the name that the people of God will bear. We are here today, the Israel of God. Through Christ, we are made into those who have struggled, struggled with sinfulness and life in this world, but we've overcome. Not because of what we've done, but because what Jesus has done for us. And so in Jesus, we've been given a new name. We too are the Israel of God. And in Christ, we have a new identity, just like Jacob did. We, we are seen by God as his children whom he loves. And we should want to live into what God has done for us. Well, finally then, there is the blessing. 
God will not give his name to Jacob, but that's because Jacob knows who it is already. He's the God of all creation, the only one who can give an everlasting blessing, a blessing of knowing God personally forever and ever. And so we see here with Jacob that at the same time as being broken, he is blessed. He's become a new person through Jesus, and yet he carries the wounds in his body. Friends, I want to bring things to a close here. I began by asking you what your greatest desire is. Well, I hope that I've shown you in this story that for all of us, just like Jacob, our greatest desire should be for God and for him alone. And that's a lesson that that God teaches us in his word and through his providence. We mentioned last week the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, if we're paying close enough attention, we'll know that even the bad things, even the things which seem bad, wrestling with God all night long, having your hip knocked out of joint, being diagnosed with cancer, losing a loved one, all of this is being used by God and turned out for the good of those who love him. It's not always immediately obvious to us, We need to trust that God is for us and God is working for us. He's working for our good. We need to trust that while things might be difficult through the night, the morning is coming. God is working for what is best for you from an eternal perspective. None of us would say that having your hip socket disjointed would be a good thing to happen. Indeed, it might be described as a bad thing. But were we, meet, were we to, to meet Jacob today, if Jacob was to walk through that door this morning, we would see his limp. And we would know he is one who has wrestled with God and has come out with a greater reliance and dependence on Jesus. We would know he trusts in God and in God alone. Maybe one day, in the eternal glories, you will be able to look at your scars, at the wounds of your life, and say, you know what? God was working for my good. God was teaching me deeper and fuller reliance on him and on him alone. Let me pray for us.